Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. My name is Anya, and I'm one of the worship leaders here. So excited to see you. If you are new tonight, make sure to make your way after the service to the back at the 10-minute party. It's less than 10 minutes, I promise. Uh, but if my husband is there, it's going to be longer than 10 minutes. Just kidding. Okay, there, there is actually a really good uh, kettle corn, uh, popcorn. So if you are new, make sure you stop by to grab yours. We will be happy to answer any questions you may have about our church. And if you are new online watching us, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone, if you are new again, please make sure you uh, drop a comment below and one of the hosts will get back with you. Here at Elements, we are using an app. It's free. Please find the app. It's called Elements City Church and you can find out lots of things about our church just by downloading the app. We have all the events there. You can follow the sur uh, our service online. You can listen to the music. There's lots of things there, so make sure you download it. Uh, connection card is available also through the app. Um, Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We are praying for the church, New Life Community, and pastor is Kurt Lansford, and we are going to pray for him in a moment. But uh, tonight, as we join together in worship and we sing these songs and we approach heavenly throne, let's just make sure we approach God with boldness and courage. And I don't know about you, but I could use a little bit of joy tonight. So can we pray to God to fill this place and fill our hearts with joy of the Lord that is available to everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. And would you please stand as we worship him. And tonight, let's just jump in the river of God's goodness and his grace and love and mercy. He has so many things available to us. So let's just worship him. He is worthy. God, we are so thankful for tonight. We are here, Lord, as one. We are different pieces, but together we make a beautiful community of people called the church. And we know you have come to save the church. You have suffered for her and you have loved her so much. Lord, we are so thankful that you've given us freedom, you've given us opportunity, and tonight, Lord, we come, we approach your throne, we, we come before you with boldness and courage, Lord. We pray for joy of the Lord. God, we want you tonight, and we ask you to lift our burdens if we have any, and may this worship, Lord, be a renewing thing to us. Lord, we also pray for the church, for Pastor Kurt, and for New Life Community. God, we know this is not an easy season for so many churches, so many pastors. Would you give them strength as they lead your community? Would you give them wisdom? Would you fill them up with your Holy Spirit, Lord, as they continue to do your work in the kingdom of Jesus? We pray all these things in your name. Amen.
the skies are wide Crashing down to bring the world to life Hope came dancing on an empty grave Death has lost its rule to the king of
I don't think we can even count all the great things and all the great works that He has done in our lives. So may our lives and may our hearts tonight will be overwhelmed with this gratitude and worship to our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God, we're so thankful for your goodness. You have been faithful through it all. Sometimes we fail to see that, Lord. You have been our deliverer. You have been our defender. You've protected us, Lord. You've been our shield fortress a rock so many times you have provided for us Lord we've never deserved that and you have loved us first you have loved us first so may each person tonight will feel this love tonight you are not some distant God you are right here and right now you care you continue to speak you continue to do miracles in our lives and we are a living testimony so Lord, may we surrender ourselves before you. Our deep desire, Lord, is to obey you, God, follow you wherever you lead us, to bring glory to your name. And also, Lord, may we be found faithful. May you look at us and you say, well done, a good servant. So may we, found, may we be found faithful, good servants. Lord, we're so thankful for the community of, this, of these people tonight speak to us we ask that you would continue to speak to us through Lyle's sermon through his words Lord we want to be better and want to follow Jesus with all that we've got so tonight Lord we calm ourselves we humble ourselves before you Lord and we are listening thank you God we worship your holy name and everyone said amen may you be seated Well, good evening. How's everyone doing tonight? Got some woots. Good. 
We're already doing better than last week. A little bit more crowd response this time, so I'm happy about that. I feed off of that interaction sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's a good thing. Uh, other times it just gets me onto tangents that I don't need to go down. So uh, that's on you guys, right? You got to feel that one out and figure that out. Uh, but no, it's, it's a pleasure to have you all here tonight. Uh, my name is Lyle. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the associate pastor. Sometimes I wear the hat of college pastor. Sometimes I wear the hat of worship pastor. Uh, lead our small groups as well. Um, and tonight's kind of a smaller night. Our pastor Jack, the senior pastor, he's away at a wedding. So Sean and Grace, whenever you're tuning in to watch this service, which I hope you are at some point in time, but not right now because you're getting married, we want to say congratulations on that. Uh, that's exciting. It's very exciting. But just even standing at the door, like seeing so many new faces tonight, I just want to say thank you for taking a chance on, on this church and coming in to hang out with us tonight. So hope to get to meet uh, some of you afterward if I didn't get a chance to meet with you just yet. But uh, man, what a privilege it is to get to gather together around the Word of God, uh, to worship uh, and to, to get into His Word. So we're going to do that. We're in the middle of a series that we are calling the stories of Jesus. And we're taking a look at uh, uh, parables that Jesus uh, spoke. And we want to kind of dissect those, look into those and see how those can apply to us today and how the words of Jesus can help us today. And one of the cool things about Jesus was Jesus was a master of pedagogy. And you're just like, whoa, why are you nerding out already? Calm down. Pedagogy. It's a good word. It's the, it's the study of teaching. It's understanding how people learn. And Jesus was such a master at this that he knew how to teach people, with it, whether it was an object lesson, inviting kids to come to him and saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a little child, right? You need to receive it that way. Or the time that the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus and he's like, hey, do you guys have a coin? Sweet, you've got one. Let me embarrass you with this coin, right? Like he uses object lessons. Uh, and the reality is he, he understands that we, as a, a human race, we resonate with story. We all love stories. And so Jesus liked to use parables to speak in stories uh, because how many of you have a favorite book or a favorite TV show or a favorite movie? Any of the three. That should be literally every person in this room because we all love story. There's something about story that grips us, that captivates us. And, and just spoiler alert, any good story is usually made up of a couple things. Uh, you usually have a person who wants something that has to overcome something to get it. And that's the entire story arc. We like story because we see a person who is not who they need to be become who they need to be at the end of the movie and they get to achieve what they want to achieve. And there's something that gives us that hope that's inspirational. And so Jesus knows that if he can speak in stories and give us these stories, we're gonna resonate with them. We're gonna understand them. Also, because we have the benefit of hindsight and we've got thousands of years to kind of look into this stuff, we were able to figure it out because the funny thing is Jesus would tell these stories to people and they would just, it would go right over their heads. And we're going to kind of see a little bit of that tonight with where we're at. So last week, if you didn't get to join us, we looked at the parable of the two sons. If last week was all about obedience, tonight is all about faithfulness. If last week's obedience, this week it's all about faithfulness. Because obedience, you're really only as obedient as you are in that moment. Some people like to think, oh, I'm very generous. I love to give things away, right? You're really only as generous as you are in that moment. Because if someone comes up to you and they're hungry and they need an apple or something and you're at the grocery store and you're turning them away, I wouldn't call you generous in that moment. Would you call yourself generous in that moment? Well, but Lyle, I was generous just to, you know, I gave this a week ago. Nope, you're only as generous as you are in the moment. 
And so we have to see we're only as obedient as we really are in the moment. And that's kind of a condemning thought. I know that's hard, that's difficult, but that's a reality that we have to deal with, that if we want to be faithful people, that requires obedience in a long direction. That's what Eugene Peterson called discipleship. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25 tonight looking at the parable of the talents. And so if you've got the Bible app, you can jump into the Bible app. We, uh, under the events tab, you can uh, jump into Element City Church. We've got all the notes there. We've also got the notes on the screen. Uh, and we're going to have the, the scripture verses up there uh, that we're going to be reading through. So we're going to Matthew 25, reading verses 14 through 30. And that's, that's a lot. I get that. That's kind of a long uh, read. So I figured we'll just, we'll do a throwback. Let's do some popcorn reading. Anybody up for popcorn reading tonight? So I've got the microphone here. If you're a good reader, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. I had to grab the microphone to sell it. Ha, <laughs> right? Ha, <laughs> so good. Uh, so we're going to be in Matthew 25. Verses 14 through 30, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, and it says this. It says, for it will be like a man going on a journey. Hold up. What is it? You're like, it? For it will be. What's that? He's talking about the kingdom of God. We'll go into more depth on that in a couple minutes here. So Jesus is talking to uh, the people here, and he's saying, for the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went, notice this, he went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, and notice this phrase, now after a long time, it's easy to skip over that phrase. We miss that a lot of times. We're going to come back to that later on as well. So after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Verse 20, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I've sown or where I've not sown and gather where I've scattered no seed. Well, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's two weeks in a row, right, where we've ended with spicy Jesus. Like Jesus is coming in hot. 
We like to think of Jesus as being gentle and lowly. We always think of his, his soft features, and here it is. We, we gotta know, this is still Jesus in his last week of teaching in the temple before he's gonna be crucified. And Jesus is on a mission. Jesus is focused, and he doesn't have time to play around any longer because he wants to get his message out to his people of what they should expect. So last week, he kinda ends everything, and he's just like, listen, the hookers and the, the, the thieves and the tax collectors, they're getting into heaven before you. And it's just kind of like, wow, thanks for the uplifting sermon, Pastor Lyle. This week, it's take from the worthless servant. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place. I get it. You're just like real encouraging stuff, bro. Thanks. Keep bringing it, you know? But I promise, there's some good stuff here. So uh, as always, we like to get our context of the passage. If we get context, it allows us to really get good uh, application because we really need to understand and interpret this well, which means it's time for Five Minute Nerd Out. That's right. It's time for the five minute nerd out. It's yours and my favorite time of the service. So if you've got your nerd hats, we're going to get the nerd hats going. Uh, We get nerdy for about five minutes. I know there's some first time people here. uh, So I call it the nerd out because I'm nerdy and I like to get into this stuff, but I know it's boring, but you can sit through about five minutes of it. So let's look at the background info of this story. We're going to get to the who, the what, the when, the where, the why. We want to ask those questions and understand that. We know that it's Jesus who's preaching this sermon. He's teaching. He's in the temple. I already said it. He's in the temple in the last week before he is going to be crucified. And so Jesus has already cleared the temple out. He's taken the temple over. And now he's getting out there the message that he wants to deliver to his people to help them understand what the kingdom of God is going to be like. And so in this section of Matthew... I mentioned, for it will be like the kingdom of heaven, like we we defined that. The reason we know that is because the sections before this were other stories that were about the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus needed to talk about this because the people, remember Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. Matthew's writing to convince Jewish people, this man is the Messiah. This is the one you've been waiting for. This is the one who's to come. And so he's going to focus on things from a Jewish perspective to help the Jewish reader really connect with who Jesus is. And so the Jewish people, when they were expecting a Messiah, they were expecting a political revolution to take place because Jerusalem was currently ruled by Rome when Jesus was alive. And so they didn't like the Caesar. They didn't want to be under Roman oppression any longer. And they were waiting for Israel to be restored to its former glories. And so they're constantly asking, when's the kingdom of God coming? When is this thing going to happen? And so Jesus uh, even says, the son of man knows not the date or the hour. And then he tells these stories where uh, the first story, he basically tells them the kingdom of God uh, is going to come sooner than you expect it will come. And then he follows that up by telling a story, the kingdom of God will come later than you expect it to come. And then in the last story, he says, the kingdom of God is just going to come at an unexpected time. And so I think that should kind of put to rest for those of us who are like, when's Jesus going to come out? Let me get out my calendar and my compass and I'm going to make all, like we don't need to read the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel and all these things to try to figure out exactly when Jesus is coming back. Jesus is telling us that's not the point. The point is, what will you do while I'm away? That's what we see in this story is Jesus is getting to the heart of this saying, what will you do while I'm away? So that's the who, more who. Uh, Who else is in this story? We've got the master in the story. 
right? What do we know about the master? We know that the master has a lot of wealth, a considerable, vast amount of wealth. So we're talking like this person has no need for anything uh, because they're just, they're comfortable. They're living pretty, right? Uh, So we know that this person has a lot, but we also know that this person likes to invest in his people. He believes in his servants and he wants to empower them to do something with what he has earned. That's why he entrusts these talents uh, to the people that are in this story with him, the servants. But what we also see, and it's, it's almost easy to miss this, but in verse 28, we can see he's very generous because he says to take the talent from the one who didn't do anything with it and to give it to the one with the 10. How much did that person start with? No, he started with nothing, right? Then he was given five. Now suddenly he has 10. Tricked you all. Ha, <laughs> gotcha. But the point of all of that is the master's identifying that these 10 talents belong to whom? The servant. This is a generous, generous master. This is a loving master. So we also see the, the three servants in this story. Uh, you've got two who take what they're given and at once they go and they start using that. And then we see the wicked and the slothful servant, the lazy servant at the end, which is kind of brutal, isn't it? Like, I don't know about you, but the last thing I probably would want to be defined as is, oh, Lyle, yeah, Pastor, he's that wicked slothful pastor. He's awesome, right? Like nobody wants to be called that at all. And that's the fears. Like we can read through this story and we can see that and think, man, gosh, I don't want to be that. And that's not the point. We don't want to get fixated on what the the last servant did wrong. We're going to observe that, but we want to focus on what the other two did right. I think we're going to get a little bit more from that. So Last part of the five-minute nerd out here uh, is we don't want to just talk about the talents uh, as spiritual gifts. Culturally speaking, we have a word for when you are skilled at something, and that word is talent, right? You have a talent. If you're good at playing the guitar, like Micah can just sit there and play, that is a talent. Uh, My wife can sing beautifully. That is a talent. Suzanne knows how to work with numbers in accounting. I've always got to make an accounting joke, Suzanne. I always do. But she's great with numbers. That is a talent. Some people are wonderful with numbers and some of you are like, don't ever show numbers to me at all because they're terrible and I want nothing to do with that, right? We all have different talents, but that's not necessarily what's being talked about here. We don't want to limit the idea of a talent to just the skill that you have because uh, ultimately what he's talking about is your spiritual gifting, your natural abilities. He's talking about the gospel, the opportunities for service that you have. We're talking about money and really the word talent in this context has to do with money. You see, a talent was a unit of measurement that was used back in those times. And so they would use a precious metal, gold, silver, something like that. Uh, And so I've got this slide here uh, that shows us uh, one talent was a lot. It was about 16 and a half years of wages. And that's a conservative estimate. It's a conservative estimate. So I was assuming if if we're taking like silver, not even gold, if we're taking like a a middle of the road kind of thing here. Uh, So I went online, I looked up what's the average wage in the US. The most current data that I could find was in 2019. Uh, And that told us that it was approximately uh, $51,900 was the yearly uh, average. So one talent is actually equal to, in today's money, about 856,350 bucks. Now, how often do we read that story and we're like, man, that one talent guy, he kind of got gypped, didn't he? Like, man, poor dude. Like he sees this person with the five talents. Of course he went and buried it. Like he just clearly wasn't worth anything. Um, Squeeze me, right? 
The principle here is this. How often do we downplay the gift that God has put within us because we're so busy comparing ourselves to others? We can see the two-talent person that has like over 1.7 million in today's money that they would be investing. You've got the, the first servant who had five talents. That's four and a quarter million, roughly, in today's terms that he was investing, that he was taking and using, uh, that the master had given him. This is no small amount for any person. And so I'm here to tell you tonight that the gift that the Holy Spirit has put in you and that spirit resides in you, if you're in Christ, is of supreme, supreme value. And so I don't want any single person in this room to ever sell yourself short or the gift that God has given you to sell that short because it is of the supremest value that if you were to take that and if you put that in God's hands and let him use it, he will multiply it. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's back up. So let's look at the first two. Let's look at how the first two kind of handled the situation. Verses 16 and 17, I pointed this out. We see that at once they went and they began trading with the talents. Right away, they just went and traded with the talents. It's not necessarily there in the text, but kind of what I see here, this master obviously has spent a lot of time earning and developing wealth. Yes? Can we agree? Probably. Like you don't just get rich like that overnight. That's not what happens. So this master has probably had these servants for a period of time, and these servants have had time to watch the master at work and see the master as he was accruing his wealth and see what he was able to do to gain the wealth. And so for me, I like to think, what did these servants do? Why were they able to go at once? It's because they just simply went and did what they saw the master always doing. If we want to grow in our faithfulness, we need to continually do what we've seen Jesus do. Which begs the question, what did Jesus do? He loved people. He spent time with people. He prayed with people. He helped to meet the needs of people. He listened to them and heard their problems. He brought healing. He invested in them. He empowered them. But most of all, this is what he did. He showed people what God was like. Jesus said in Luke 7, he said, the son of man came eating and drinking. The son of man came, Jesus came to feast with people because he wanted people to understand what God was like. Now, the caveat to all this is, is we can't show people what God is like if we don't know. So how do we know? We have to experience it ourselves and the best way to experience it is by getting into the word of God. When we plant ourselves and root ourselves in scripture, we get to see what God is like. He wrote a letter and preserved this letter. Really, it's 66 letters that he has had written and preserved throughout all of history for us to see exactly what he is like and to see what his heart is for his people. We have to make sure that we may not be able to know God completely, but if we get into God's word, we sure can know him accurately. Let's be people like that. The servants knew that the master had these considerable resources as well. And I think that that also empowered them uh, to, to be able to go and use them. They, they saw how the master was able to, to gain this, this considerable wealth. But then because the master trusted them and entrusted it to them, such a vast amount of money, like how empowering is that when someone trusts you with that? And being servants, they probably aren't people of wealth as well. So I like to liken this to like someone like Elon Musk right? 
one of the richest guys in like he or Jeff Bezos, it's always like a back and forth depending on stock prices nowadays of who's the richest person in the world. But you think about their disposable income. If Elon Musk wants to go away and it's like, hey, I've got $4 million. Can you do something with that? How much do you think Elon Musk is going to care if you lose the $4 million? Probably not going to care that much, right? How about for you? What if you lost $4? You get up from church tonight and you're like, Where? I had $4. Where's my $4? That is a meal at Taco Bell. What am I going to, like, you're not going to tear this place apart looking for $4. Probably not, right? It's all about, like, it's just all relative. That's the reality here. And for the master to invest this $4 million, for us it's a considerable sum of money. But for the master it's like, eh, whatever, I don't care. Just be adventurous with it. Do what you want to do with it. And I think that that's what the Holy Spirit has entrusted us. When we get that spirit inside of us, we lose sight of the value of that. We lose sight of what's been entrusted and deposited to us. But what we really lose sight of is the fact that we serve a God who has an infinite amount of riches. And so if you're adventurous with the gift that God has placed into your life, you're going to make mistakes. He's not going to be mad about it. We have a, a loving father who has gifted you to be adventurous with what he has gifted you with. We need to see that. But notice too, the two servants uh, that were successful in investing their talents. What did they do? The first one brought back five talents, presented them to the master. He gets told something. Verse 21 tells us what he said. Verse 23, if you notice, it's identical word for word when the person with the two talents presents that to the master. So the master's not like, what? This guy got me five talents. You only bring me two? Loser? What's going on? He wasn't harsh at all. What did he say? He actually told them, and I love this, you've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's $4 million. And he just said, you've been faithful over a little. What does that tell us? Again, it just confirms the vastness of the riches and the wealth that God has in his glory and the mere fact that he has placed that inside of all of us. He's placed something in every one of us in his Holy Spirit to use to further the kingdom. That's a beautiful thing. Enter into the joy of your master. That's what we want to hear. We want to enter into the joy of the master and we want to live there. But God, here's the point from all that too, the observation here. God recognizes that we are all different and expects of us only what is appropriate. He expects of you only what's appropriate. And so you may get into this trap of comparing yourself to other people. And you're like, gosh, Pastor Jack, he can get up there. He could probably just mail in a sermon and we would never even know it. He's been doing it for so long. It's just, he may not even write a sermon, just get up and just from memory be able to give one that he's had to give, Right? That's his talent. That's his gift. And we might compare ourselves to him and be like, God, why didn't you give me that? Or you could look at someone who sings wonderfully and you're like, oh, wow, gosh, they sing so beautifully. I'm never going to sing like that. What's the point? It doesn't matter. And yet, if that's your passion and if that's something that you're good at and gifted at, God only expects of you what's appropriate of you. God's not asking you to be the next Pastor Jack. God's not asking you to be the next Lyle. God's not asking you to be the next Hillsong. He's not asking you to be the next Bethel music. He's not asking you to be the next Elon Musk. He's asking you to be yourself. He's just asking you to be the best version of you and to take what God has placed within you and gifted you with 
and to entrust it to him, to let him multiply it, to let him use that for his kingdom. I think it would scare every one of us if we knew the amount of brilliance that God has placed within us. And so often I think we miss it because we're too busy comparing ourselves to other people when that was never meant to be the thing that we would do. So let's get out of that habit and let's make sure that we see this, that the only thing God expects from us is to be faithful to use what he's given to us. And his expectations are certainly appropriate for what it is that we have. Nothing more than that. Another thing that I, I kind of see in the text here is uh, perhaps these successful servants really felt empowered because what they, they recognized that what was given to them was really never theirs in the first place. I think about uh, the first, uh, well, just growing up, my dad was the type who was uh, like, yeah, you're never getting a car from me. You guys are going to have to work if you and your brother want a car. You need to save uh, because that's the only way that you're going to appreciate having a car. It's what my parents did for me. It's what we're going to do for you. And my brother and I are like, this is so unfair. Right? Like all of our friends have cars and they're getting cars on their 16th birthdays. And we're just like, can we get a ride to school? Like just it's the depressing thing, right? Like why do they all get cars? Why do we not get our cars? Like it was just, it was so frustrating. Uh, and then turns out after my dad passed away, uh, his car died. I had to help my mom get a new car. Literally it was a week after my dad passed, like his car stopped working. So we get a new car and then it turned out I drove that car so much that after like eight years, my mom's like, you've driven this so much, it's kind of your car anyway. So she just signed it over to me. So I won that one, dad, next time, you know, maybe it'll be, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But the point of that is, uh, I didn't buy that first car with my own money. And it became my car eventually, but by the time it had become my car, uh, I'd already gone at least once 12,000 miles without getting an oil change. I guess you're not supposed to do that. Like literally the guy at the brake master was like, did you, hold on son, did you really go that long without? I was like, yeah, I totally did, so it's fine. If you have to do extra things, that's on me and I will pay for it because I'm an idiot. That's fine, I, I can own that one. Um, and then like one of the days uh, my roommate was parked behind me and I'm like trying to back out because it was a stick and then like I didn't know how to drive stick shift because I'm a loser like that, whatever. So I'm trying to like back the car out but there's a post and I totally ran into the post. So like one of the doors was like totally dented in and scratched up and I was like, well, oops. Didn't even really care about it. I didn't really take care of that. Why? Because I didn't know the cost. I didn't know the value. I never had to like feel the weight of that. And then cut to this year when I finally buy my first car at the age of 38. Yep, winning, I know. Uh, finally buy my own car and I, what do I do? I get the Mr. Car Wash membership so that every week I can drive it through so it's looking great. But that's not enough. Like you have to get that little rag they give you because the water streaks, we're gonna wipe all those out because we don't need dirt streaks on this car. That's ugly, right? Uh, taking it, making sure that the tire pressure's good, you know. Don't even need to do an oil change for 7,500 miles on this thing. So that's actually working out really well for me already uh, since I clearly don't know how to pay much attention to that. But the point of that is this. I absorbed the cost myself when I bought that car. And so I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to be like careful with it in a way that I never was with the other car before. Some of you get this as grandparents, right? You had your own kids and with your own kids, you're really tough and really strict and like, oh, but once you have grandkids, they're not yours. So you give them all the sugar, right? You can help, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah? No? No, I see a couple nods. All right, good. 
The point of that is this. They knew that the master had the incredible wealth of riches. And they knew that the master, like this was pocket change to the master. They were empowered because this wasn't their money to begin with. It was never an expectation of, oh, this is going to be my money anyway. It was, if this is the master's money, I'm going to do what the master did with it. And I'm going to invest it the way that the master did. They were empowered to go out and be adventurous and take risks because they saw the master do the same thing. And so we want to be the same type of people that we understand that Jesus empowered all of us so that we can be adventurous with our faith and with what it is that he has given us. But let's look at the third servant. Let's take a look at his motivations uh, because I think this is really interesting. Uh, Verse 24, it says, uh, where it shifts over to the third servant, it says, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. And we already know the master's response. He is not pleased with him. Dr. Constable in his Bible notes said this about this passage. He said, this servant ignored his responsibility to his master and his obligation to discharge his duty. Moreover, he showed no love for his master, whom he blamed, attempting thereby to cover up his own failure. I don't know how I've missed that. I've heard this sermon. You've all probably heard this sermon preached many times if you grew up in church. We've seen this passage. It's used all the time of, hey, we need help with volunteers. And we talk about the talents. How can you invest your talents? But so often we miss this, that here's this third servant who shows no love to his master and then goes on and blames the master for his own failure. And how do we know that? Look at what the master just did before that. We talked about the generosity of the master that he would be willing to give these talents to, to have others me- like manage his wealth while he is away. But then at the end that he's identifying this wealth now belongs to the ones who managed it, except for this one, because he couldn't be trusted with it. And it even says, it's not like this servant had very little time to deal with it. It's not like he just got busy with the kids, had a bunch of sports, and he was busy at all of their games for the weekends. And, you know, sorry, just kind of didn't get around to it. The master was away for a long, long time. We know the master was away for a long time, and he didn't do a single thing. He buried it in the ground. Think back to the car that my mom gave me. How much does it honor the giver of the gift, right? My mom wanted to bless me. She wanted to make sure that I could get around town and do the things that I needed to do in giving me that car. What happens if that car sits parked in a garage all the time and I never drive it? Like, how could I do something to dishonor the giver of the gift any more than to just let, well, it looks so nice. I just, I'm afraid I don't want to use it. I'll just keep taking the bus. No, I'll walk. It's fine. It's only 110 outside. It's Tucson. I'll walk. I need to lose some water weight anyway, right? Like, that, that would be ridiculous. That would infuriate my mom. And it would dishonor my mom because she loved me enough to want to meet a need of mine. We don't want to dishonor the giver of the gift. If God has entrusted you with something, it's because he wants you to put it to use for his kingdom and for his glory. And that's our responsibility is to figure out how to do this. I kind of saw this in the text and put this up here. How often do we misunderstand God's character? And like the third servant, then we blame God for our own failure to act on the grace that he has shown to us. That was convicting for me to think about that. The number of times in my life, I've made dumb decisions before. 
And yet the number of times I'll make a stupid decision and then in my prayers, it's like, God, why would you allow that to happen? Why would you do this? Why didn't you come? (laughs) It's something that we're all guilty of at some point or another. And yet we don't want to be the type of people who are going to blame God for our own faults, for our own failures. Again, this master entrusted something of supreme value to his servants. And we have to just keep going back to that. Even if you're looking at everybody else in your life and they're five talent people and you feel like you're the one talent person, that one talent is of supreme value. And God expects us to use that brilliance that's within us for his glory. Steve Gladen uh, recently was here in town. He's the leader of small groups uh, at Saddleback Church. Uh, and so small group of us were able to, uh, small group, see how, how that's fun how that worked out. So um, the ones who went to it are like, uh, silly. Steve Gladen was talking about opportunity. And he said, there's two different types of people when opportunity presents itself. You have those uh, who see uh, the benefit of taking a risk and they're excited by that risk. It kind of brings them to life, that adventurous side of them. And then you get the, the folks who have fear and they're just kind of gripped by fear and they kind of become crippled by it. And then he told the story of, uh, they're in Orange County, so they've got perfect, wonderful weather, right? They, uh, ha- in his cul-de-sac, he said they'd have all the neighborhood kids over and they love to play games together. And so they organized like a game thing and they're doing like Pictionary or whatever it is. And so his daughter goes up, she's gonna go first. And she kind of like, he gets the, you know, she comes up and tugs on his sleeve and she's like, daddy, give me an easy one. Why did she want an easy one? because she didn't want to look dumb in front of her friends, right? She didn't want to feel the shame. There's a little bit of fear there, but she's the first one up. And so she's willing to take this risk. And so what does he do? He gives her an easy one. And then she gets it. And what's her response? She goes right back. She's like, daddy, give me another one. Because she's invigorated by this. Give me another one. Make it a little bit harder this time. And the point of that is this. Every time that we take a, a, a risk and we're successful with that risk, what we're doing is building faith. We're building our faith. If God's called you to go do that thing, to go talk to that person, every time that you're able to go do that and follow through on it and it works out, your faith increases. And what we've done in the church is we've done a really poor job of giving the easy ones. And so instead of folks getting their faith uh, built up because they get to see what it's like to be successful, I feel like sometimes we, we ask people to serve because there's just a need. And so we're asking them to fill a need. And as a result, instead of folks getting to get an easy one first, we're like, hey, here's the budget for the event. Go ahead and manage all of that stuff. If you don't mind keeping the receipts and the paperwork. Oh, and by the way, there's gonna be like board members there. So don't mess this one up. It's gonna look really bad. Like we, we put all this pressure on folks sometimes. That's an exaggeration, right? Like we've never done that to anybody in the church. Um, But what we have to do is we have to figure out how do we create steps for people to crawl before they walk and let them walk before we ask them to run. And so if you're the type of person that you're a little nervous, that God's put something on your heart and you're passionate about it, but that fear is a real thing. It's there. What are the steps that you can take to make it an easy one to start with so that you can crawl? And then as you build some faith, then you can start to walk. And as you build even more faith, then you can go sprinting into the joy of what it is that God has called you to do. You don't need to go be perfect immediately. We're gonna make mistakes, but God wants us to be adventurous with what he's entrusted into us. And that's how we wanna look at opportunity. 
Perhaps this third servant represents those uh, who have the attitude that their religion is only about not doing anything wrong. That's kind of an interesting one to think about. Did Jesus die for us to just stop cussing and to stop drinking and to not watch Game of Thrones? And yet that's the way that the world wants to define the church. They look at us and see, oh, those are the folks who just, they're fuddy-duddies. They don't want to have fun. They don't want to do any of those things. No, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. He came for a feast. He wants us to experience the feast. So we don't want to be the Christians who are so consumed with fear that we're going to do something wrong. Uh, that, Like this quote here from R.T. France said, he said, the fault of the third servant was that he did not recognize his master's intention and he opted for safety instead of service, hoping to avoid doing anything wrong. He finished up by not doing anything right. Ooh, that's so good, isn't it? Wow. Let's not be the people that at the end of the day, we've never done anything right because we've buried the gift that God has put within us that he intended for us to use to be a blessing to others. Because if we do get crippled by this fear, we're never willing to be adventurous with the gifts that God's given to us. What's he gonna do? He's gonna take them from us and he'll give them to those who are gonna be willing to use it. And sometimes I've, I've encountered these people, maybe you have too, the people who are just, there's that bitterness inside of them that they missed the boat so long ago and they saw other people around them doing what they never were able to do themselves. And so they're just grumpy. They're angry individuals. We never want to be that way. We don't want to be those folks. And last week, we kind of talked about this idea of having the renewed mind. Uh, and so we really went deep on uh, how kind of we didn't go that deep. We went a little deep on how the brain works and like neural pathways and stuff. And we looked at Romans 12, one and two to talk about having the renewed mind. And I think that the renewed mind is just as important when it comes to this. If we wanna be people uh, who God can call faithful, if that's the term that we're looking to hear when we enter into the joy of the master, when we stand before the Lord, uh, I think the renewed mind will help us. So uh, Romans 12, one and two, I've got this in the NIV. If you want to turn there uh, in your Bibles, we'll have it on the screen. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Why is this verse important? I said it before, too often in the church, we failed at helping people learn how to crawl before we ask them to walk, before we have them run. And we've got to get better at that. We've got to get to a point where we're not asking people to serve because there's a deep need and we're just guilting people into doing it. I could do that tonight. We had to cancel e-kids. It's like the Lord aligned all of this stuff to happen, that we don't have enough folks for the worship team to have to have kind of an acoustic set, that we can't have e-kids because we don't have enough volunteers uh, to, to run e-kids tonight. And I could be like, oh man, we're really hurting. Please sign up and help out. Please, God, please, will you please? Like I could do that. This would be the perfect night to do it. It all aligned. It's like the stars aligned for us to have that moment and be like, man, the Holy Spirit's moving. I should really go helping the kids more. Like, I'm not here to guilt you tonight into doing that. We're not here to do that. And that's not what we want to do with any of our volunteers. We actually shared this with them a couple months back. But this verse here is how we can have a heart 
that's ready to serve and ready to invest the gifts that God has put within us. Notice what it says. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, what was the most merciful thing God has ever done for all of mankind? He sent his son to die on a cross to absorb all of the sins that we would ever commit so that he could die for those sins and his justice could be fulfilled. And yet his grace and his mercy could still be displayed to his people so that they could have a relationship with the Father. It's the most gracious thing God has ever done. When we keep God's mercies in view, only then are we to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Too often, we're asking people to serve and to help out by condemning them, by guilting them, by shaming them. And we're asking them to serve really ourselves. And yet, Paul gives us the roadmap here. In view of God's mercies, we want to continue to put up the sacrifices that Jesus made for his people. And as long as we focus all of our energies on remembering what Christ has done for us, we have every motivation in the world to take what he has put within us and to then use it for his kingdom's sake. And he continues here when he says uh, that this is your true and proper worship. The word that's used there in the Greek, it's actually not a whole phrase. The word that's used for true and proper is logikos. Logikos. It's where we get the word logic. And it really, it, it can translate into rational or reasonable. And so what he's saying is, this is the reasonable, this is the rational response in view of God's mercies. This is your rational response to him, to present yourself as a living sacrifice. The problem with the living sacrifice, though, is the fact that it can crawl off of the altar. That's the battle we fight every day. That we wanna be people of obedience, but we're only as obedient as we are in that moment. If we want to continually uh, be obedient and if we wanna develop a life of faithfulness, we have to place ourselves on that altar each and every day and we have to choose to stay on that altar. And yet that's the rational thing for us to do when we consistently remember what Jesus did for us. When we recognize that Christ accomplished it all on the cross for us, what is it for us to be just a little bit inconvenienced to go out of our way to serve somebody? It always keeps things in perspective and it helps us frame things the way that we need to. But be encouraged by this. We're kind of wrapping up here, the band, if they want to kind of start making their way back up, they can. Be encouraged by this. God has already created opportunities for you to use your gifts that he has given you for his glory. He's already created the opportunities for you to do that. Ephesians 2.10, I love this verse. Uh, comes right after, by grace we've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. And then he follows that up by saying that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I just get this picture in my mind when I read that, or maybe you've seen, uh, you know, those like cobblestone streets. If you've been to Europe, it's like everything's cobblestone. Like you don't even want to drive there because the road's like so bumpy. You're just like, this is terrible. Sorry, this is terrible, right? Because you're literally shaking so much. And yet I feel like God has put these, these pavers down in front of us. And that's the good works that we could walk in if we choose to do it. 
And so if we wanna enter into the joy of the master, what I wanna do is I wanna put my life on that path. And I just wanna look for the next right step for me to take. What's the next thing that you want me to do, God? And then we step in that. And then we look for the next one and then we step in that. And if we just keep stepping in that, that's, that's a long walk in the same direction, a long obedience in the same direction. It's what Eugene Peterson calls discipleship. And that's ultimately what faithfulness is all about. The pavers are in front of you, my friend. God has prepared a path for you that you could take, where you could take the talent or talents or whatever it is that he has placed inside you. And maybe you're sitting there and you're just like, gosh, I, don't, I really don't know what that is. And I would just encourage you, what are you passionate about? What is it that gets you excited? Pray about how you can begin to use that excitement and that passion to start to show God to other people, to show them what he is like, what his character's like. For some of you, you're like, I just like sports. That's great. There's sports ministries that are out there. For some of you, you're like, I like accounting. That's fine. There's Bible studies for accountants that you can be a part of. Some of you, what if you're really good at telling stories? Maybe some of you are really good storytellers. Let me tell you, if you can tell a good story, you are just a, ready to go to help in our e-kids because the next generation needs people to tell them the stories of God and to tell them what he is like. The reason I'm standing here today is because there are multiple elderly ladies that I grew up with in my church. Vi Dahlquist, Joy Beatty, I can tell you, these ladies spent so many hours preparing little simple Bible lessons and things for us to do so that they could tell us how much Jesus loved us. And I grew up knowing this love that God had for me. And later on in my life, there were other men who saw uh, what was in me and they invested that time in me. Think of the difference that you could make for the coming generations and maybe you've never considered that before. That's the challenge. If, if you can tell stories, here's the deal. If you can tell stories, I want you to talk to Jen. She's our eKids director. She's gonna be in the, the lobby at the end of this service. And in fact, whatever it is that you may be passionate about, I'm not here to guilt you. I told you that. I'm not gonna guilt you. But I'd be dumb to not tell you that there are opportunities for you to use the gifts that God has given you to serve this church. And if it's not to serve this church, but it's to serve the community, we're gonna get behind you and help you do that. We want to do that because we want every person here to understand that they have something within them that they can give to help build the kingdom of God. You have that within you. The Holy Spirit has entrusted that into you and deposited that into you. And so we want to give you that opportunity. Um, so we're going to have multiple folks in the lobby afterward uh, at the next steps table. If you want to find a way that you can get involved here, uh, go have a conversation after the service and we'll talk with you. We'll, we'll work with you to figure out what is it you're passionate about? How can we help you take uh, this investment that God has given you to use for his glory? And lastly, if you've been the one, you're like, yeah, I, I buried my talent. Here's the good news. If you're not dead, God's not done with you. If you're not dead, he's not done with you. Go unbury the talent. Go dig it up. And then pray, God, what was the last thing that you asked me to do that I've not done? What's the last thing that you've put on my heart that I should do that I haven't been faithful and obedient to? And then when you figure out what that is, just take that step of faith. Do the next right thing that God is calling you to do. 
And just watch as you take that step, how it builds your faith. And now you take the next step and find success, how it continues to build your faith. And then when you take the next step and on and on and on, God wants to build your faith. We as a church want to help you build your faith. And so we're going to find ways that we can help you do that. But let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thanks for tonight. Just thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, this message. I I know it's a message that uh, any person who's been in church (laughs) any period of time, they've heard this message before. Um, But what this is tonight, God, it's a healthy reminder to all of us that you have given us something that we can use and take uh, for your kingdom, for your glory. And we just want to be people who are faithful to do that at this church. And so God, just whatever it is, uh, the takeaway may be for whoever uh, is here tonight, God, just for all of us, would you speak to us? What's the next step uh, that we can take that will build our faith? If you prepared us for these good works, God, would you show us what they look like? Would you show us that next step to take? And would you uh, just help us to trust you in that process? That yeah, it's a little scary. It's gonna be a little uncomfortable. There's gonna be a little bit of fear. But at the end of the day, we're playing with the house's money here. We don't, we don't have to worry about winning all of the money back. It's not ours to, to lose in the first place, God. It's just, it's, it's something that you've entrusted to us to be a good steward of. And so we want to be people who are faithful to use it the way that you've called us to use it. So Lord, would you just move tonight? Maybe one phrase one point, one thing that we can each take from this. Just help us to figure out what it's gonna look like in this next week as we begin to put that into practice. We thank you for tonight. We just thank you uh, that we get to gather together to do this. What a privilege it is, what a joy it is to get together as the church and to just continually lift you up, Jesus. It's in view of your mercies that we do all of this. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand?
that you had a great night with us tonight. Again, uh, we'll have the 10 minute party at the end. We'd love to meet you if you're new. It's your first time we've got, uh, I believe we call it the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon. So if you wanna head back there, I'd love to meet you, get you, get, get you some of that. Um, the important announcement that we just wanna make is next week uh, after service, we're gonna have a family chat. And it's not that there's anything bad that's going on. We just believe in transparency. We believe in authenticity. Uh, and so uh, Suzanne is a member of our board. She'll be out at the next steps table. Um, but Suzanne's our treasurer. And so she and Jack are gonna be available uh, after service so that we can just go over the church finances so that you can see how we're managing the money that you've been giving uh, to this church. And so we wanna thank you if you've been partnering with us financially for that, uh, for trusting us with that. We plan to use that to do real ministry and that takes real money. So for those of you who do that, thank you so much for uh, supporting us in that way. Um, but just make sure that you stay connected with us through the church app. You can see all the latest news, all the uh, latest events that are gonna be going on there. Uh, but we hope you have a great week. Hope you have a great week, a blessed week. Uh, and let me pray for us as we go. So Father, thanks again for tonight. We just ask that as you send us out, that we would go out with the great deposit that's been trusted to all of us, that we would put that to good use to let people see what you are like, Lord. That's your heart, that we would just go and carry your name out uh, to the world. 
So would you help us to figure out what that looks like for each of us individually as we go wrestle with that now? But let us know that we're going and doing that uh, through your power, that you're there to guide us every step of the way. We love you. We thank you for that. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Have a great night.